This message is by Parker Green, pastor of the Union Square Community of Liberty Church in New York City. Man, it's been a it's been an amazing it's been an amazing few weeks here at uh, Liberty Church uh, Upper West Side, and it's it's just been fun. Man, it's been fun seeing people show up. It's been fun seeing people start to follow Jesus uh, for the very first time and make a decision to bring Him into their life. And just in in numbers that uh, you know could start to s- smell a little bit like revival. You know, it doesn't take very many people um, to, to spark revival. And the, the funny thing is about um, every revival that I read about, first of all, it's always, it always starts with prayer. I mean, it always starts with communication with God. It always starts with talking to God. And then there's always seems, there always seems to be one person that God grabs in the middle of all of that and uses in, in a terrific way uh, to see revival take place. I mean, even just... Um, Less than uh, 50 years ago, Billy Graham was in New York City and saw a million people choose to follow Jesus over a month period. And he lost 20 pounds over that month period, um, preaching basically nonstop and seeing people saved, filled Times Square with people. And that, the year before that, on Easter Sunday, every building lit, was lit up in the city um, with a cross the night before. Now imagine that happening in today's New York. Now, I'm not asking us to go backward in time. I think God has more in store for New York than that. I think God has more in store than, um, than a visiting evangelist. I think he has something far more in store for this city that, um, that will not just change New York, but will change the world. And it's an amazing privilege to be a part of it. It's an amazing privilege to be here and just be in the city and be um, seeing disciples made. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about this subject, and that's um, why we're going to talk about it, really. Um, and I'll start, with, I'll start with my story. You've all heard the word discipleship, right? Um, either, even if you haven't been in church before, the word disciple or discipleship goes around a lot, and people say that a lot. And I think Jesus calls us to a life of discipleship. I think Jesus calls us to a life of discipleship, and let me just lay that foundation right off the bat. Now, the problem with that statement is every single person in this room has about a billion different things go through their brain when I say discipleship. And I think the best model, personally, this is just me, I think the best model for discipleship is probably Jesus. I think he did a pretty good job. I think if you take one guy that took 12 men, one that kind of screwed up, but he chose him on purpose took 12 men and spent three years with them nonstop, and the entire world got turned upside down, then you have a pretty good model for discipleship right there. Now, if that's not happening, and we have the same spirit that, Christ, that raised Christ from the dead living inside of us, then in my mind, I lose peace. And in my heart, I lose peace when I read stories of these men that spent this time with Jesus, and if we're not turning the world upside down, then what model are we using? And I think every single one of us needs to ask the question, what model are we using for discipleship? Now, what you don't know, what you may not know, is that every single one of you is called. And every single one of you is a disciple of somebody or something. Whether they're dead or alive or it's a a form of media, you are following somebody and learning how to live your life from somebody or something. 
Guaranteed. You, did, you were not just born the way you are, exactly the way you are right now. You were born with a distinct call and a distinct purpose, and you were made to count, but every single one of you is following somebody, whether it's cable news, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's Twitter or somebody on Twitter, whether it's somebody you really like to read, whether it's some vain philosophy that has you tied down, you are following somebody and you're being discipled by somebody. And let me say right off the bat that discipleship, and we'll get into this more deeply as we go along, but discipleship is basically an apprenticeship. Now, now an apprenticeship is learning from somebody who's a master. Now, I'll get this up on the screen in a little bit, but I'm just presenting a, a little bit of a problem to you guys this morning. It's following somebody and learning how to do what they do by seeing what they do, not just by listening to them, but by watching and following what they do. This is an apprenticeship. Now, you are watching somebody and learning how to do something from somebody. Let me tell you a little bit about my story of discipleship. So, um, I grew up in what you could call a very controlling environment, um, bordering on a cult. And from the age of zero to the age of 12, there was one man that led this group, very small group of people, and took advantage of our families in ways that I won't go into in this room. But basically controlled this group of people and had them on lockdown for, I grew up in it, so from the age of zero to 12, and I found out everything about that was actually happening behind closed doors when I was about 21 years old. And then um, we left that group. My parents managed to break us off and break us out of that group, and we went to an awesome church, a couple awesome churches where I grew up in Spokane, Washington. And yeah, we got a couple of locals back there. What's up, guys? Anybody else from Spokane? <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> Not usually. Um, but we went to a couple awesome churches, and um, a youth pastor took me under his wing at one of these churches. Now, I won't name names, I won't get into it too much, but basically, in the end, this guy took me under his wing, like, would take me out of, of school at lunchtime and disciple me. I don't know if he knew that's what he was intentionally doing, but he was teaching me how to follow Jesus. And then, as soon as I left that youth ministry and went off to Bible college, I found out that he had been cheating on his wife for five or six years. Now... Here's the moral of this story, or my story. The call of any man, the call of any person, the call of any flesh and blood human being is nothing compared to the call of Christ and the grace he puts on people's lives. Because those people did not call me to follow Jesus. And discipleship was not about that person. If you find that a discipleship relationship or even a mentoring relationship becomes about you and not about Jesus, you have stepped away from discipleship and you've stepped into you. And you're burnt out and you're tired because you're trying to lead people from you. If you're a Christian in this room and you're not currently discipling anybody, if you're not currently showing anybody, I'm not talking to our guests, people that are just checking this out, if you're a Christian and you have been for some time, and you're not teaching somebody how to follow Jesus, I would question who you're following because you're following somebody. And that's straight up and that may make some of you very uncomfortable, but if you've been a Christian for a long time and this isn't the sexiest message in the world, I'm so sorry. But discipleship means everything to me. Discipleship means everything to me because without it, 
I would not know how to live the life that Jesus promised, the life and life to the full. Because you see, he doesn't just call us into some little thing. He doesn't just call us into a new list of rules. He doesn't just call us into church attendance and church activity and religious activity. He calls us into life and life more abundantly. And in order to live that life and life more abundantly, you have to step into a relationship of discipleship. You have to. It's the only way. That's what he calls us to do. That's what he asks us to do. So we're going to put this scripture up on the screen. Matthew 28, 18 through, through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's pretty clear, right? That's pretty straightforward. Jesus is given all authority, and he says, go now and make disciples of all nations or all nationalities or all people groups, every single kind of person that you could possibly imagine, short, tall, black, white, and everything in between. He says, go and make disciples of those people, every single, and some translations say every creature, just to make sure we don't miss anybody. (laughs) Go and make disciples. The king of heaven and earth that came down of flesh and blood and rose from the grave tells us to go and make disciples. And it is unbelievable to me how few people that would be professing Christians are not doing this. They're just not. They're not intentionally making disciples. Now, some people read it and go, "Uh, some people just don't read it enough because when you read the Bible, sometimes it's frustrating because it asks you to do things. And you start to get in this circle of, well, I'm not doing that, so what should I do about the fact that I'm not doing that at this point? And it's kind of uncomfortable, some of the things that Jesus asks us to do, isn't it? I find the New Testament sometimes unbearably uncomfortable because Jesus asks us to do insane things. Now, I want you to picture something. I want you to picture a king that came to visit for a UN summit, and he's in New York City. And he finds out about a five-star restaurant in the city that serves food from his home country. And he hears that it is the best possible food that he can get, get, something that would be placed on his table when he was leading his country back home. And he goes to this restaurant, and he sits down, and he orders steak, meat, the way he wants it prepared. And he waits, and he knows it's going to take a little bit longer because they're just putting a little bit of extra, you know, spice into it. They're putting that extra home touch into it for the king, Right? And he's there, he's there with all his dignitaries, and out comes the waiter, and he puts it in front of him, and he looks down at the plate, the king looks down at the plate and sees spaghetti, and he holds it up and says, this is spaghetti, this is, this is not steak from, from my home country. He goes, oh, okay, uh, and the waiter looks a little bit confused, a uh, little bit taken aback, and takes the spaghetti away and takes it back to the kitchen and comes back again and puts spaghetti in front of the king, and he, the king with a little bit of grace because he knows everybody's kind of watching him, um, especially in this restaurant, with a little bit of grace says, let's just, let's send this back and I'm gonna give it one more shot. Maybe they'll bring steak the way I like it this time. And for the third time, it comes back and it's spaghetti. And he looks at the spaghetti and in, in a rage, just wanting the food that he asked for from his home country, in a rage, he throws the spaghetti on the ground and steps out 
And you can imagine what would happen to a restaurant like that if the king found out that was making his home food that would happen to that restaurant and every single waiter in the restaurant thought that spaghetti was just the best steak in town. And it was delicious spaghetti. Yeah, people have eaten it before and they're just like, let it slide. It was the best spaghetti you could possibly taste, but it's not what the king ordered. Now imagine Jesus sitting in our churches and he calls us out to discipleship. (laughs) He's ordered discipleship and we serve him attendance and routine. He's called out followers and we serve him religious activity. It's not steak. It's not what Jesus asked for. Now, these things surrounding discipleship are good if we're giving Jesus what he asked for. If we're giving people an opportunity to step into the kingdom. You can imagine, and some of you don't even have to imagine because you're feeling this right now. You've stepped into this life with Jesus and so much has been promised in this walk with Christ and you're not feeling You're not feeling like it's that abundant life that everyone talked about. You're not feeling like it's that call, that's that, it's that that overflowing life that you were supposed to feel when you stepped into this life with Jesus. And all these things are offered to you, but discipleship is the bridge. Discipleship is the bridge. It's the bridge into learning how to be like Jesus. And every single person in this room is called. I'm going to read you a kind of long passage of scripture. Well, it's long for our audience, I think, in an Instagram world. It's a little bit long. But this is a great story Jesus tells about being called. And I think we can put this up on the screen and leave this up. Sorry. What is my response to this call from the Son of Man who's raised himself from the dead? And I think every single one of us needs to ask that question. What is my response to the call of this man that has raised himself from the dead? And we'll go to Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. So he, he brings it out a little bit more, right? He entices them a little bit more with this amazing dinner. That I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Jesus said this. That kind of blows my mind sometimes in the picture I get of Jesus um, or that the world tries to put on us of who Jesus is. These guys decide not to come, and he's telling them, just like what happened to Jerusalem 70 years, or about 40 years after Jesus rose from the grave, he's telling them exactly what's going to happen if they reject him. The king became enraged, and he burned their city to the ground. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite, the, invite to the banquet anyone you find. Who's anyone? That's you. You're anyone. You've been invited. What you have to realize is you have been invited. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. How comforting is that? And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. 
Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And Mark 3.13 says, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called those he wanted and they came to him. Now, Jesus provides for us our wedding garments, and that's why this man got thrown out. He was trying to attend the feast of the king by trying to make it happen out of his own work. Now, Jesus provides everything that we need when it comes to reconciliation with him. Jesus provides every single thing that we need by his death and by his resurrection. Jesus provides a reconciliation in that relationship, but relationships are only reconciled so that they can continue. And we can put this up on the screen. Why would we trust in Jesus for our reconciliation, but then for nothing else? Why would we trust in God on earth to reconcile us with him, but then when we go to work, Jesus isn't the expert here. Or when we're dealing with family issues, oh, Jesus, you don't really understand. He's got a giant messed up family. He understands. (laughs) Every single one of us brings something here that is messed up right? If you try and find the perfect church, I've heard it a thousand times, if you find it, leave, because you're ruining it. It's not perfect anymore. (laughs) He invites us to this feast, and he invites us to have a relationship with him, and he invites us to follow him. It is a call to follow. It's not a call to be acti- have lots of activity in our lives. It's not a call to do the right thing or just do the right thing or just be a good boy or just be a good girl. It is a call to follow Jesus. And let me encourage you today, a stumbling disciple is still a disciple. Just follow. Just follow. Just follow. Just follow. It's not complicated. Stop putting a bunch of stuff in the way of Jesus. He just says, come and follow me. The problem is all you have to do is die. And nobody says that anymore, right? Like, we create an emotional moment, and we will later in the service. I'm just warning you in advance. We're going to create an emotional moment where we turn down the lights, and I'm going to ask you to start following Jesus. And we bring that atmosphere for, for a particular reason, but something happens directly after that. You have to become a brand new person and be absolutely and completely born again. And in order for that to take place, Jesus asks us to die. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said famously, and he did die for his faith in a concentration camp, he says, when God calls a man to discipleship, he he bids him come and die. Because the only way that you can be the kind of person, the only way that you can be the kind of person where that overflowing life comes out of you is to die with Jesus and be resurrected to life with him just the same and be a completely new person because that's why behavior modification doesn't work. You've tried it. You've tried it. You've tried it a million different ways. I guarantee you your New Year's resolutions are gone. I guarantee you that book you tried to get through you didn't finish. I promise you that that, those new goals, some of them fell to the wayside. You trying to fix yourself never really ended up working. And the only way that we can be transformed is to be with Jesus. Do you hear me? The only way we can be transformed is to be with Jesus. Now, when we think of being with someone, sometimes we screw this up by thinking, I'm just going to like hang out with Jesus and Jesus, like my pal, is going to be with me the rest of my life. Like, Jesus, come with me this way. Jesus, come with me this way. Jesus, come with me this way. Jesus, come this way. And he's 
as the creator of heaven and earth, is just thinking, man, this would work out a lot better if you followed me. And so many of our churches today and so many people today think, I'm going to invite Jesus into my life to come along for the ride. That is wildly inappropriate for the king of the universe. By his grace, he still manages to lead us, and he's wise enough and knows that if we just get to know him a little bit better, all we'll want to do is follow him because he does offer that life and life more abundantly. But I beg you today, do not think that Jesus following you around in your life is you following him. You will be so frustrated. You will be so upset all the time and thinking that your Christianity isn't working or the gospel's not working. But Jesus following you is no gospel at all. The call of Jesus Christ is to follow him into a deep, intimate relationship with him and the Father. And being with him means being with him in his death and his resurrection. That's what being with Jesus means. That's why he broke bread with his disciples. That's why he broke bread and said, this is my body. Take it into yourself. This is my blood. Take it into yourself. I am making an absolute covenant with you that I will make this covenant happen even upon the pain of my own death. And that's exactly what he did. And he bids us come and die. And you know what the great part about being dead is? You're unoffendable. You're not scared of anything. You can live a fearless life. You're not scared of what people think about you. You're not scared of the strings your boss holds over your head. You're not scared of losing money because the kingdom is more than enough. And this kingdom life is more than enough. Now let me explain to you what an apprenticeship with Jesus might actually look like. Because I'm sure some of you have shut off already, and that's fine. I'm not looking for a bunch of people to follow into this message. I'm looking for people that the Holy Spirit is calling to follow Jesus. That's fine. Jesus couldn't hold a crowd, honestly. Every single time a crowd came, he said something weird, and like everybody left. (laughs) And his 12 stuck with him. An apprenticeship is a person legally bound through indenture or through an agreement to a master craftsman in order to learn a trade. We are bound by blood to Christ. The real question is, are you turning up for class? I read, a, I read something the other day, and it grieved me. And normally, st- statistics don't, because they're so impersonal, right? You can read a million this or a million that, and you're like, well, but until you hear a story, it makes a difference. But the problem is, I've watched this story over and over again. 12% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis. 12%. 12% of people that call themselves little Christs. <laughs> followers of Jesus. That is insanity. And they're looking to pastors and teachers for answers. Please, for the love of God, do not look to me for answers in your life. Look to him. When I disciple someone, when I take somebody under my wing and I teach them, it is not a mentorship. It is me getting out of the way and pointing them towards Jesus. It's just a lot of questions. It's a lot of What does Jesus say about that? Did you go to Jesus first with that? What's the Holy Spirit say about that? What does God say about that? What does the master of the universe say about that? Before you ask my opinion, please ask the one who created life itself. Now it says apprenticeship is is an agreement or you're an indenture to a master craftsman. Now Jesus is the master craftsman of life. Did you hear that? Jesus is the master craftsman of life, and he proved it for us by raising himself from the dead. And here's, here's, here's the thing. Every single thing that we do has to do with discipleship. Every single thing that we walk through, every single thing at our job, every single thing with family issues like I was talking about before, Jesus is the expert on life. 
And you are learning from him in an apprenticeship for eternity. And that eternity starts right now. And you cannot separate obedience from abundance. See, a lot of you are trying obedience without abundance. But you have to realize, and Jesus talks about this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven is open to every single person in this room and available to you. So you have the abundance of the kingdom, and now you can obey what Jesus asks you to do. And you're naturally going to change by learning from him on a continual basis. How would Jesus handle this problem? How would Jesus talk to this person? How would Jesus lead this situation? How would Jesus wake up in the morning? How would Jesus have his conversation with God? How would Jesus interact with the Father? Because all those things are open and available to you on a daily basis, not just here in church for two hours. If this is your entire experience of the Christian walk with Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and earth, who rose himself from the grave, I just feel sorry for you. Because you have an entire life available to you. And if it's not working for you, I beg you, step into discipleship. That's your solution. Step into following Jesus. This is how I did it. This is how I started doing it. I just took a day and set aside an entire day and just read the Gospels. It's like somebody needs discipleship. (laughs) Leighton. Leighton just getting shout out. We got to give numbers to those kids. <laughs> Poor little guy. <laughs> the majority of our time in following the call of Jesus is to apprehend how he lived. And that's what apprenticeship looks like. Now, I know, I know, not everyone does this the same way, and not everyone's relationship with Jesus is exactly the same. But man, I'll follow a guy that died for me. <laughs> I honestly don't know who else to follow. And he's the only one that actually solves the human problem of just needing life. All the stupid stuff you did was probably just because you were trying to feel alive or you're trying to find intimacy. And all the stupid stuff you're doing now that you know is wrong is probably the exact same thing. Just trying to find closeness and trying to find life. I just want to feel alive. And that's what Jesus offers us. He doesn't offer us some life in the sweet by and by. If Jesus were all about converting people, why wouldn't we just die right on the spot? That would be better, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be better if we just raised our hands, we said a quick prayer, and when we baptized people this afternoon and they like went all the way through with the decision, boom, dead in the water. Wouldn't that be better? If it was just all about converting people and the kingdom wasn't available to us in in our daily lives, it would be better if we just died and went to heaven. And if Jesus was all about just making converts, why did he spend the majority of his time with 12 men? He escaped the crowds to spend time with these guys. And it's a constant struggle for me as a pastor and a constant fear of mine because my model for ministry is not a guy that loved crowds. He loved the people that were in the crowds, but he didn't just love being around crowds and he didn't just draw a crowd. His whole life was spent with these 12 guys. Makes me want to just say, well, why don't I just stop? And spend life with 12 guys and try and sneak away from church as often as possible. I mean, honestly, that's what he did. If that's what he was all about, if he was just about making converts, why would he enter into intimate relationships with 12 men and go everywhere with them? Because he wanted to give them life and life more abundantly. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is because he is the ruler of heaven and earth and he has been invested with all authority on heaven and earth that he can say, go and make disciples. 
The only reason we can follow the command of Jesus and the only reason that we can do what he asks in any given scenario in our life is because he has been given all authority in heaven and earth. So every single resource that you can possibly imagine is available to you through a quick prayer. Wow. Wow. What an incredible opportunity. What an incredible opportunity. And we saw so many people in the New Testament holding on to things. And they saw Jesus do these miracles. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They heard the rumors of him coming back from the dead. And they had to hold on to money, to power, to prestige, to their friends, to whatever it was. And they're looking in the face, as many of you are today, you're looking in the face of the entire kingdom of the heavens, absolutely and completely available to you on a daily basis through the process of apprenticeship to Jesus, and you can't let go. (laughs) Come on, let it go. Whatever it is that's holding you back from following Jesus today, I encourage you, just let it go. It's such a brutally clear call. He did not pull punches. He did not say, we're gonna do it this way or that way. He didn't say, oh, you'll probably figure it out. He gives us a clear path to discipleship. And Jesus is a holistic gospel, not a religious attendance and activity gospel because that would be no gospel at all. Here's how transformation happens. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, some of his earliest disciples, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished when they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How many people in your life are astonished that you've been with Jesus? (laughs) I'm convicted by this. Every single time that I read it, it it, it stirs me up. I lose my peace when I read it. I I think, who's looking at me and thinking, that guy's been with Jesus? He's been with Christ. He's been with the son of the living God. He is full of life life and life more abundantly. And how many people can say that about us? How many people can step into our churches and say they've been with Jesus? I am so tired of trying to get people to come to church. If we just had this life and life more abundantly, we could not keep them away. And it doesn't take very many of you. I'm not worried about that. Step into a call of discipleship. Jesus asked these guys to follow him and they dropped everything else and did it. It's super clear. It's uncomfortable. Man, it's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for me to say it right now. And it's not like a popular thing to say. But they left everything. Jesus could ask you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow him. That is a possibility. He could ask you to go and be martyred somewhere for the gospel in a place like our friend from India was just talking about. He could very well do that. But in the kingdom, even death is safe. So who cares, really, if you're already dead? You were sent out for the sake of others. And changed people change people. Let me say that again. Changed people change people. I know you've heard it before. Hurt people hurt people. Probably a million times. But changed people change people. If you're transformed from the inside out, you cannot help but tell people about Jesus, how awesome he is, and draw them toward you and toward him. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City, or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.